also talked about uh, starting that spark of revival in our own hearts um, and, and what it might look like or what it might be that gets that spark going. You know, that spark could be something extremely small or it could be something big. Do you guys remember the story about John Wesley being stuck inside of his house when it caught on fire and they had to make like the human ladder to save him? And uh, whenever he was saved uh, and down on the ground safe, his mom walked over and quoted a verse from Zechariah that said he was a brand plucked from the fire. Let me tell you something. You know you grow up in a house that reads the Bible regularly when your mom's go-to scripture after a crisis is from Zechariah. Okay, so um, today we're going to be looking at uh, John Wesley's uh, college years. I guess that's what we're going to call it from like 17 to 32-ish. Um, John Wesley went to Oxford University, and if you don't know much about Oxford, there are actually many colleges within Oxford University, and Wesley went to Christ Church College. I have a picture of it up here. Um, that's a, like an aerial view of it. He went to Christ Church College, uh, where he would receive his bachelor's and his master's degree, and he would be ordained there as well. Now, if this church looks familiar, this is the inspiration for Hogwarts from Harry Potter. Uh, actually, let's look at the dining hall there, Thomas. Okay, that's fine. So anyways, the dining hall, whenever it comes up, there it is, looks just like uh, the dining hall from Harry Potter uh, in, in Hogwarts. So I thought that was pretty neat because uh, I'm, a, I'm a little bit of a Harry Potter fan. But anyways, um, as we uh, begin uh, this, this second week of the series, let's turn in our Bibles or you can pull out your smartphones or your tablets or it's in the, uh, the bulletins there. It's going to be up on the screens later. And, and our scripture today comes from the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 13 through 15. Um, now, before we get there, I do want to give a little bit more of a history of, of John Wesley. Um, he earned his bachelor's degree in 1724. And then in, in, and then in 1726, he earned his master's degree and was actually elected as a fellow at Lincoln College, um, which is another college within the Oxford University uh, system there and fellows were professors and instructors and tutors who also governed a particular college so Wesley uh, received housing he had his meals paid for and he received an annual salary for being uh, a fellow at Lincoln College um, they were also expected to do research Wesley was actually a lecturer of Greek and philosophy most people don't think of Wesley as this Oxford professor, but he actually referred to himself as a fellow at Lincoln College for most of his life. Um, and, you know, it's kind of unusual to think that this Oxford professor started a revival, but it points to something that's very important about Methodists and, and the revival that they led. Methodism is often described as a thinking person's Church. Now, I don't want to say that anybody else who isn't a Methodist doesn't think. That's not what I'm saying. This is how Methodism is uh, described sometimes. Uh, Presbyterians and Episcopalians actually think of themselves this way as well. But what set Methodists apart was that they combined the intellectual approach to faith of the Presbyterians and the Episcopalians with the passionate evangelical approach to faith that the Baptist also brought. Uh, Norman McLean 
uh, notes in his novel, A River Runs Through It, uh, the main character's father is a Presbyterian. And in the book, he describes Methodists as Baptists who can read. I don't know who he's trying to insult slash compliment in that saying, but that's not to say that there are not Baptists who can read, who can't read, because there definitely are. Um, but, uh, but Baptists were known for this, this passion and this zeal for spreading the gospel, while the Presbyterians and the Episcopalians were known for their emphasis on intellect. And Methodists held these two together. Now, after giving you a little history lesson, let's move into our scripture reading of 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Verses 13 through 16, it says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I, uh, I, I talked about uh, the book A River Runs Through It. I love to read, um, and it really, <coughs> excuse me, it really matters what mood I'm in, whether I'm going to read a book or an article or a blog post. It, it just kind of whatever I wake up feeling that day is what I read. But I recently came across a story in a blog post um, about a woman who had lived in the same New England town as Paul Newman. Anybody know, anybody know who Paul Newman is? Huh? Cool hand Luke, Right? For you younger people, he was the voice of Doc Hudson on Cars. You got me now? You got me now? Okay. Oh, oh yeah, there we go. There we go. I love it. So she lived in the same town as Paul Newman, and she woke up really early one Saturday morning, and she took this long walk, and she decided to go bird watching. And whenever she got back, it was about 8 a.m., and her family was still asleep, so um, she decided to drive into town and... And, uh, and satisfy this crazy craving for something cold and sweet. And you guys might be following me at what it is, ice cream. All right, so driving to the, uh, the local bakery, which also doubled as the ice cream shop in this little town, um, she knew exactly what she was going to order, two scoops of mocha chocolate chip ice cream. So when she arrived at this bakery slash ice cream shop, uh, she discovered to her dismay that the only other customer at the shop was Paul Newman. He was sitting at the counter, he was eating a donut, he was having coffee, and she thought to herself, all right, this is no big deal. It's his town too. This poor man is entitled to privacy. He's just like anyone else. I'm not gonna make a big deal out of it. I'm gonna go in here, I'm gonna place my order, and then that's gonna be it. And that's what she did. She got in there, she nodded to Paul Newman, who nodded back to her. She put her $2 on the counter. She ordered her double scoop of mocha chocolate chip ice cream. And then she went to leave and she walked outside and she got to her car and she realized all she was holding in her hand was the change from where she bought her ice cream. Well, she's like, golly, I gotta go back inside. And like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be embarrassing. And she was expecting to have the ice cream in like the, you know, the cone holder that they'll have sometimes, a little clear plastic thing with the holes in it. And something like that, or maybe the clerk's holding it out, you know, with like a laughing smile on her face. Um, so she gets there, and she makes eye contact with Paul Newman, and uh, she, she writes it down that he broke into this wonderfully friendly, warm grin and said to her, you put your cone in your purse.
So John Wesley, I, I believe, struggled in his early years to live a life that was in perfect balance with this understanding of the scope of the love of Jesus Christ. You know, too often in our own, in our own haste, in our own hustle and bustle, like this woman at the ice cream shop, we end up putting our ice cream cones in our purses. Um, Wesley described this struggle of putting on one's best self forward as being an almost Christian. That John Wesley uh, kept a journal in a few decades after he had gone through school. He wrote about his time in school and, and he said, the next six or seven years were spent at school where outward restraints being removed, I was much more negligent than before even of outward duties and almost continually guilty of outward sins, which I knew to be such, though they were not scandalous in the eyes of the world. However, I still read the scriptures and I said my prayers morning and evening. And this is where I want you to pay attention. And what I now hope to be saved by was, one, not being so bad as other people. Two, having still a kindness for religion. And three, reading the Bible, going to church, and saying my prayers. Doing these things does not save us. They are definitely marks of people who have experienced the love and the grace and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and have been saved. But these things alone do not save us. That's what it means to be almost Christian. It, it reminds me of my, my favorite uh, gospel book. If you didn't know in the Christian tradition, we have four books that we call the gospel. They're the first four books of the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And my favorite one out of all four of them, even though they're all good, uh, is Mark. And one, I like Mark because it's the shortest. Um, and second, I like Mark because there's this overarching theme that runs through the book of Mark. And that theme is, watch out. That's the thing. Watch out. Jesus tells so many people to watch out. Now, who does he say that to? He doesn't say it to the poor or the disenfranchised or the people searching for something more. Searching for love and grace and peace that he was giving. Jesus said it to the people who would classify themselves as religious. Jesus said it to the people who thought they had everything figured out. He said it to the almost Christians. When Wesley was going through school, he thought he had everything figured out. But instead of being an almost Christian, Wesley challenged himself and later on his listeners to become altogether Christians. Now, let me break this down for you. That word altogether does not fall in the same sentence as Jared has got everything altogether. That word altogether actually means like whole or, or uh, a whole Christian, all Christian, altogether Christians. John Wesley actually wrote a sermon titled Almost Christian. It was a sermon that was like 50-something minutes long, and I'm trying to reach that number today, guys. Um, so I'm just joking. I'm, I just saw everybody's mouth like, oh, my gosh. No, I'm just playing. Um, but he titled it Almost 
Christian, and in it, he, he read the series of rhetorical questions. And I actually read this sermon today as I was preparing, or not today, this week, as I was preparing for the message today. And um, the commentary that was in it is whenever Wesley got to this part, he read these questions with great fervor and enthusiasm is how it was, it was explained to me. And I'm going to read these questions for you guys. Now, I'm going to read them just like John Wesley said. Okay, so as I read them, let's open up our hearts and minds to hear this. John Wesley said, is the love of God shed in your heart? Can you cry out, my God and my all? Do you desire nothing but him? Are you happy in God? Is he your glory, your delight, your crown of rejoicing? And is this commandment written on your heart that he who loveth God love his brother also? Do you then love your neighbor as yourself? Do you love every man, even your enemies, even the enemies of God as your own soul, as Christ loved you? Yea, dost thou believe that Christ loved thee and gave himself for thee? Hast thou faith in his blood? Believest thou the Lamb of God hath taken away thy sins and cast them as a stone into the depths of the sea, that he hath blotted out the handwriting that was against thee, taking it out of the way, nailing it to the cross? Hast thou indeed redemption through his blood, even the remission of thy sins? And doth his spirit bear witness with thy spirit that thou art a child of God? Wesley longed to be holy. You know, that word holy, I, I, you always, or a lot of times you'll hear that word holy means to be set apart. To be holy means to be set apart. And actually, that's only going like halfway of what holy really means, because it actually means to be set apart for a purpose. He longed to be set apart for God's purpose. Now, having a child has taught me many things that I thought I knew. Um, my daughter, Eileen Reese, she'll be two in March. And uh, last night, she taught me what the meaning of longing is. We just talked about the meaning of holy. But Eileen Reese really taught me what the meaning of longing is. Um, it was after her bath. And the way our, our nighttime schedule goes is that either Megan or myself will give either Reese a bath, and then the other person does the dishes. We kill two birds with one stone. It's been working out for us. Hopefully it keeps going for us. Um, so I, I was doing the dishes. Megan was bathing Eileen Reese, and after we got through with the bath, you know, you stick her out of the bathtub. She's still dripping wet, and you put her, her Elsa frozen towel around her, and then she does her cute little run around the house, and like, I'm a baby, and I'm naked, ah! You know, and it's the cutest thing in the world. Um, but after that, so she runs in the kitchen. She's like, ah! Then she runs out, and you hear her little feet pitter-pattering around the floor. And, um, but she gets to her room, and then all of a sudden I hear Megan say, Eileen Reese, come back. And I hear her little feet again, do, 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 running across the living room back into the kitchen where I was. And she was calling me. She's learned to call our names, which is really weird um, when she hasn't ever done it. So she's like, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And she runs in there, and I squat down, and I get on eye level with her. And I was like, what is it, baby? And uh, she holds up her pacifier, which we only give to her at nighttime. She holds up her pacifier, and she says, this is my path. And then she turns around, and she runs back to her room. Okay. But as I, as I thought about that, I mean, it was the cutest thing in the world for me. But as I thought about that, that's what longing is. 
That's what longing is. There was, there was this great desire in my daughter's heart to tell me that that was her path. Like that, that was what was the, the only thing on her mind at that moment was to clarify that to me. Because obviously I didn't know it. John Wesley had that longing to be holy. You know, Peter reminds us of Wesley's own conclusion actually later on in the first chapter in verse 21. It says, because of the sacrificed Messiah, who is Jesus Christ, whom God then raised from the dead and glorified, that you trust God, that you know you have a future in God. Uh, Wesley himself even admitted his own feeling of inadequacy when it came to trusting God fully. But Wesley had a, a deep desire to do everything for the glory of God. Um, there was this welling up in him, a longing for holiness. And that longing, I believe, is echoed in that first Peter scripture that we read. Another uh, translation of it says, As obedient children, let yourself be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life. A life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. We don't have to put our cones into our purses for our faith in Christ informs us that in Christ we are all together Christians. The challenge is to trust God enough to transform us from being almost Christians to altogether Christians. Again, the question is, how do we become holy? How do we learn to trust God more? How do we stop ourselves from putting our ice cream cones into our purses? And as our scripture today tells us, discipline ourselves. I do not say that lightly. Every time I say the dreaded D word, chills run down my back. December 29th was six years since my father passed away from cancer. So I, I have not heard my dad's voice in over six years now. But I can remember as a child my dad saying something to me, whether it was um, for school, for sports, for friends or relationships. He actually said it to me one time when I was playing video games. He said, Jared, you got to discipline yourself. You got to discipline yourself. And this was like his motion. Kids, you know what I'm talking about? Like your parent has that motion. Like this was my dad's. He's like, you got to need to have like a rock with it. And you got to discipline yourself. And, and reading this scripture throughout the week, every time I read that part, like I heard my dad's voice. Jared, you got to discipline yourself. And I hate, my dad would say it all the time to me. I hate the word discipline. I would rather hear someone drag their fingernails across a chalkboard or listen to a song where like every fifth note is flat. I, mean, I, I do not like that word. But if we strive for anything, we've got to be disciplined in what we do. The, the word discipline comes from the same word that disciple comes from. And at Pittman Park, our, our motto is making faithful followers of Jesus Christ 
But that follower you could take out and it's making faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. It's the same thing. That is what our church is about. Wesley strive for holiness. We should strive long for holiness. And Wesley was very disciplined in the way that he did it. He did it by rising at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning for private prayer. He read and he meditated on scripture every day. He fasted two days a week until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He met with others to study the Bible and other Christian writings. And he insisted that those within those study groups also hold each other accountable. Um, He attended public worship at least once a week. He took Holy Communion at least once a week. Um, He pursued acts of compassion and mercy for the poor, the prisoners, and the elderly. And he strove to live a life of simplicity. So through these spiritual practices, Wesley invited the Holy Spirit to change him. To be restored by the Spirit and made into what God intends. That humans who completely love God and love their neighbors as they love themselves. According to Wesley, the very meaning of religion is the recovery of God's image in us. How beautiful is that? The very meaning of religion is the recovery of God's image in us. I know I've talked about this before. Uh, I think actually the last time I preached in here, my dream car. Anybody remember what it is? I don't expect anybody else to, even though you should always pay attention to me and everything I do. Um, my dream car is a 1967 Ford Mustang Fastback. Huh? I was expecting an amen from somebody who got that. All right? It's got to be black. It's got to have two white racing stripes down the middle. There it is. Oh, look at that. Oh, my goodness. Whew. Black, two white racing stripes down the middle. Chrome wheels, those, those meaty-looking tires. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Those meaty-looking tires. And the exhaust has got to be that, like, deep rumble. I'm not t- talking about that dirty wop, 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 wop stuff. I'm talking about that deep rumble that, like, you hear it, and you might think that there's a thunderstorm coming. Right? And it's got to sound good. Got to have a good sound system in there. Right? Maybe a, a 12-inch subwoofer. You know, something like that. You know, I want my car to sound so good that if you didn't see it but you heard it, you would say, man, that car sounds like it looks good. <laughs> but let me get back on track. To have a car that looks like this. A pretty car, isn't it? To have a car that looks like this, we're going to have to put some work into it. Okay? It might look something like this before we do it. But whenever we see this, we don't need to see that. We need to see what it could be, not what it is. What a powerful picture of how God sees us. That the church is God's salvage yard and he sees that what we could be in our task is only to invite him in to restore us. 
all of us know what it feels like to have inadequate faith. We know when we're running on empty. We know how embarrassing it is when we put our cones into our purses. We know what it means to be that junked Ford Mustang. But what we often fail to remember is that God does not choose to see us as inadequate or running on empty. God instead chooses to see us for who we really are. Beloved children, fully restored by God. Not as almost Christians, but as altogether Christians. We're going to 